Well, I, th I think it's safe to say it's officially fall um, because, I mean, the, the key marker in our house to know when it's fall is my wife and I begin having the discussion at night whether the heater should be turned on or not. That mixed with the obligatory nod and wave to all the farmers driving down the road as if I wouldn't see this like 13 foot long uh, vehicle just kind of coming my way. Uh, but it's officially fall. We are glad you are with us. If you are new to FIRST, perhaps you're just checking things out. We are so glad that you took part of your fall day to spend with us. Uh, we here at FIRST, we're about one thing, and that's helping each other follow Jesus. We believe that each and every one of us is on that journey together. We find ourselves going at perhaps different rates, different speeds. Some of us have been doing it for a long time. Some of us are just exploring it for the first time, but it's a collective thing that we have individual responsibilities, but that we do it together. Because when we do it together in the context of community and the church, not only do we make one another better, we can help push the mission of God further faster. And that's kind of what our text is going to talk about today is finding that purpose and that mission for your individual life as a disciple. Now, I'm someone, I don't know about you, who loves a good car scene movie. Anybody in here likes good car chase scenes in movies and television shows? As a result, I'm a big fan of the Fast and Furious movie. Uh, looking forward to Fast and Furious 17, I think it is, coming out next year. Um, but, and mainly that's because like, I've never owned a sweet car. I've never owned anything that can go over like 90 miles an hour. And so there's a little bit of jealousy that kind of runs within me, plus Vin Diesel and The Rock together. I mean, who doesn't want to watch that type of deal? And uh, the thing is, is whenever I watch car chases, one thing always sticks out to me is it is so different than real life. Like never have I ever been driving downtown or driving up in Chicago or whatever it is and seeing like this car chase happen in a car around the corner followed by another one around the corner and then they're like flipping over curbs and they're smashing into each other but still going like 130. Never seen it before. More of what I experience is something I experienced this past week. I was in uh, Urbana near the Brookings Center and if you know downtown Urbana-ish, there's that weird four-way stop. It's like a four-way stop, but they're kind of diagonal. And I got into a good old Midwestern standoff. You guys know what that is? So when you both get to the stop sign at the same time, and it's the go, 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 go. No, you, 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 you. No, go, 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 go. You, 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 you. And then you both take like a step forward at the same time to stop. And then you do it again. Okay, go, 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 go. No, 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 no. You, you, you. Go, 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 you, you, you. And then finally, I break them down. I win. I get the other car to go. And as they're going, someone on the other side is like, this, these jabronis, okay, like these guys. Kind of does a right turn, I'm okay, go, 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 go. <laughs> and uh, as they're turning, I start to accelerate, and the car behind them doesn't even stop. Just rolls right through, makes a right-hand turn. So I go from being a good Midwestern person to being a New Yorker real fast, because I do want to, yo, what are we doing here? And I proceed to follow this car for like five blocks because I'm going to figure out who they are. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm following this car, okay? And I notice something real quick. They're swerving off, off the side of the road and back on. And swerving, and they're swerving, and then there's these quick adjustments. And I think to myself, ah, kids probably just texted on their phone. So what do I do? I pull out my phone and get a video of them while it is so I can text it to my wife. But it got me thinking for today's message. Isn't that sometimes a representation of our life? How many of you might say you are driving towards your purpose? You've got the destination in mind, 
But how many of us find ourselves driven? So this is the question I want to ask us all this morning. Is would you say you are chasing down? We're going to put it back up, the question up again for me. Is would you say you are chasing down your purpose or just drifting? If you were to ask yourself candidly this morning, do you feel like you are chasing down the purpose that you have been placed here on earth or do you find yourself just kind of drifting back and forth? That's what we're going to kind of tackle today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 22. We are in Acts chapter 22 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, every single week, bring your Bible, bring something to take notes. We have note sheets where you pick up communion because we believe that as we study and get into the word of God, those truths will saturate our hearts and minds and we'll begin to live these transformed lives. And today we're in Acts chapter 22. And one of the things that's been interesting over the last dozen chapters or so is reading about this guy by the name of Paul. The apostle Paul, his name was Saul, and then it kind of got changed to Paul. And there's something interesting about Paul is he finds himself in trouble a lot, but he finds himself in trouble for doing the right thing. He is so keen on his purpose, and Paul's purpose was, I have been placed on planet Earth to plant churches and to welcome Gentiles, aka non-Jewish people, into the Christian church, the newly established church that has its ancient Jewish roots. And at this point, Paul has made his way back to the city of Jerusalem, the epicenter, the cornerstone of the Jewish church. And he goes back to Jerusalem knowing, as we studied last week, we saw in chapter 21, these prophecies. Paul, if you go back there, if you make your way on this journey back to, to Jerusalem, you're going to get taken, you're going to get arrested, not good things away. And Paul says, but this is my purpose. It's my mission. So he makes his way back to Jerusalem. One of the things he does is he brings this offering with him. An offering from Gentile believers to support the Jewish believers because they're trying to paint the picture. There is one church. There's not multiple churches. There are not multiple ways to live out there. There is one church. There is one community. We're in this together. And so Paul gets back to Jerusalem and they say, hey, Paul, can you do us a favor? Could you just go do uh, that, that ritual for about a week and just kind of give, you know, the, the blanket appeal that, you know, everything's all kosher between you and the Jewish people and all that type of stuff? Paul's like, sure. So he does the thing, and then he's getting to the last day when they realize, wait, wait, Paul's been there? Paul? The, that guy? The, uh, the Gentile guy? And so they just assume, they make a false assumption that he brought Gentiles into the temple and defiled it, so they arrest him. This mob kind of gets all up in arms, and then right as Paul's being whisked away, he says to the soldiers, yo, give me a second, I want to say something. The guy's like, okay, floor is yours. This is where we pick up this morning. Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 2. It says, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but I was brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors, a.k.a. he was a Pharisee. He studied uh, the Jewish uh, laws and, and, and the Torah for probably 20 plus years. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. The W being capitalized. That's what they referred to Christians before they were called Christians. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. 
And as the high priest and all the council can uh, themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So he's on the road to Damascus. He says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. So Paul gives this speech and he starts by giving his background. And he kind of, not saying as an excuse, but an explanation of who he was. He says, I had all of the, the degrees. I had all of the pomp. I had all the circumstance. I had all of the zeal. In fact, I was going so far to protect the ancient Jewish ways that I even took it to the point of death of persecuting men, women, and we can believe their children as well, that if they claim to be a follower of the way, this whole Jesus guy at the time, then I took it upon myself to eradicate them from not just our city, but from the earth. And Paul's not saying this to do anything just to say, hey, if anyone was too far gone, if there was anyone who had made too many mistakes to be saved by God, What do you think of my story, he says. You see, Paul believes in grace culture, in kingdom culture, which believes that hearts, no matter what they've done, where they've been, or who they are, can be changed by the power of Jesus. But he very much lived in a culture that sometimes we experience today, which is a cancel culture. Look at how his speech ends. He finishes his speech in Acts chapter 22, and then verse 22, it continues. So Paul finishes his speech and it says, so the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. So let me get this straight. When Paul was out killing homies, when Paul was taking people saying, knock, knock, knock on their door, do you believe in the way? And they say, yep, I believe they're great. Come with me, arrest them, throw them in prison, make sure they don't take another breath sometimes. When Stephen, the first martyr, Acts chapter six and seven, Paul was standing over them as people were stoning that man to death. Paul was there. Nobody said a word. There was not a single peep of his actions. And then here his life is transformed. He begins to follow Christ. He begins to let his heart be transformed by Jesus. He's spreading the gospel. He's planting churches. He's helping people in need. And that's where the rub begins to come from. If anyone should have been excluded from being changed, let alone used by God, Paul's saying, I'm the number one priority there. But that's not the truth. Look at who I was And look at what God has chosen to do through me as his vessel. That's because of this, that God desires changed hearts, not to cancel people. God desires to change your heart, not to cancel you. God desires to change the heart of your spouse. God desires to change the heart of your neighbor, the heart of your coworker, the the heart of that child, not to write them off or cancel them. And this is true of all people throughout God uses throughout Scripture. If you, you can read almost any story in the Bible, you're not going to see people who have it all together. You're not going to have read these stories like, man, 
He was awesome. I get why God chose to use him. Look at people like Moses. Born into royalty, well, not born into royalty, saved into royalty, then becomes a murderer, becomes an insurrectionist. And God says, you're going to be the person to rescue my people from slavery. Look at David, a man after God's own heart as he was defined. David was a murderer and a rapist. Look at Rahab. She's a prostitute. Look at Peter. An ordinary fisherman, but he couldn't stand boldly for his faith in the face of a little girl. God has this great habit, this glorious habit of saying, as soon as you think you're too far gone, that's when my grace can really begin to do its work in your life. That no one is too far gone to have a changed heart. All of these people, and then some, most of us would say, would God actually allow them to be used Like if you were to stack your story up against them, chances are, I'm just guessing, that majority of us on a morality scale would be more up and to the right than all of those people's story. Is that fair? And we have this habit of trying to maybe say, well, God can't use me. God couldn't use her. God certainly isn't going to move for them. Look at what they've done. And scripture says, huh, that doesn't seem to match. You see, a cancel culture says you've got one shot to get it right. You've got one shot to say things, but make sure you don't offend me too much. But a change culture, a grace culture, a kingdom culture says it's a part of everyone's story. You and I alike have this journey that we walk on together. And the beauty of the gospel is that we are defined by who we have become in our faith in Jesus, not what we've done or what's been done to us. The greatest way to perhaps summarize the gospel is the famous verse in all of scripture, John chapter three, verse 16. But I love the two verses that follow. It says this, you can read them with me here on the screen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 17, 18 makes it so much better though. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or to cancel the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God is not in the business of canceling people. He's in the business of canceling sin. He's in the business of writing and blotting out our sin. We don't earn our way to Jesus. We don't earn our way to heaven based on our good works. We rely on what Jesus has already achieved for us. And in the same manner, we are called to preach that Jesus canceled sin, not to cancel people. We are recruiters of his love, not prosecutors of his wrath. So the question is, though, maybe a way for us to discover that for ourselves is what is our response when we hear of someone else's sin. You know, the first church that I worked at, um, there was this, uh, like, I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday morning thing. This, this uh, group of people would get together and they called it uh, prayers and playing cards. 
and they used to play this game called hand and foot. Anybody familiar? It's a, it takes like, I don't know how to play. It's like four decks of cards, takes forever. And so they would gather together and they say, we're going to pray and we're going to play playing cards. And so when I was new, I showed up because I was like, I want to learn a fun new game. This sounds great. And then I began to refer to it as not hand and foot, but I called it the hand, foot, and mouth club. Uh, not to realize, I didn't know that at the time. I have kids that hand, foot, and mouth is an actual thing that kids get and it's super contagious. But because this group, what they would do is they would play cards and instead of praying, they would just gossip about things. They would just share about all the shortcomings of everyone else in their life or in the church. Can you believe what Susan did? Yeah, I heard that wasn't Steve. I heard that it was Steve and Steve went over there. Well, I heard that Susan and Steve together made that choice. Well, I'm not gonna let them sit next to me at the next church potluck, okay? And it was like they, they took joy and privilege in gossiping about the shortcomings of others. Think about what the Apostle Paul is going through right now. He's on trial for something he didn't do. He's on trial for following God's will for his life. And instead of firing back, instead of hurling insults in return, instead of saying, oh, you're going to cancel me? Well, I cancel you first. So I'm going to type about as fast as I can with all exclamation points and capital letters on Facebook. Instead, what he does is he shares to them his story and the good news and how his transformation can be their transformation. We can always call sin, sin. That's not what I'm saying here. But we can never condemn. Our job our response to hearing the sins and the shortcomings and the faults of others perhaps says more about we, the change we believe that Jesus can do in the hearts of those around us. Paul's speech uh, testimony continues, picking back up in verse 9. He says, My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. So Paul has this divine moment. And it's interesting, it's never lost on me that I think what happens is, is Paul is on the road that he thinks he's supposed to be on. He's heading to Damascus, living out the purpose that he believes his life is about. And in the midst of that, Jesus meets him and intervenes. And if you've had an encounter with Jesus, there's probably at some point or another, you have been on your mission. You have been living your life. You have been chasing your purpose. Only for Jesus to meet you there and intervene to give you one clear thing to say, but what about me? What I have for you is greater. What I have for you is better. What I have for you is divine and not earthly in stature. See, Paul was on the road he thought he was supposed to be on, 
And then Jesus transforms it. The second point for us this morning is Jesus wants to transform your life purposes. Jesus wants to take what you are good at. Jesus wants to take what you are passionate about. Jesus wants to take what you are naturally gifted for and transform it for his purposes. Paul never forgets about his murderous past. Paul never leaves behind his education of old, but he has a profound appreciation for the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Jesus never really says to Paul, Paul, forget about everything you learned in, 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 in your Jewish seminary. Paul, forget about having zeal and being passionate for people to believe the truth that you know. Paul, you just need to forget everything you know and start over. No, and he says, Paul, take that zeal. Take that knowledge, take that passion, and I'm going to transform that in a manner of my purposes and in an eternal and in a divine power. And Jesus does this all throughout scripture. He goes up to the disciples. When Jesus calls some of his disciples, they're great fishermen, and he says, yeah, you're a good fisherman, but I'm gonna teach you how to fish for men. He does this over and over and over again. He says, tell me what you know. Tell me what you think you're good. Tell me what you're gifted for and I will transform it. Throughout the book of Acts, there's two clear ones. He goes up to Lydia, this woman who has more wealth. Uh, arguably, they believe she was one of the richest people in all the ancient Middle East. And she doesn't say, well, well, Lydia, in order for you to be a follower of Jesus, you need to take all your money and just kind of pretend like it, just, just go be poor. So no, no, take all that money that I've given to you, that I've blessed you with, and give it to the church. He goes to Priscilla and Aquila. He says, you guys are amazing business leaders. You have this ability to take an idea, to take a concept, build a business. Now, I want you to take those skills. I want you to take those talents. But I want you to build churches and build up disciples. I think sometimes what happens when we get into the notion of, I want to follow Jesus with my life, we think we have to give up everything that has amounted to that point. But the real truth of it is, is no, 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 no. You just need to let Jesus transform those gifts and those talents and those passions. And so whether your gifts or talents are spiritual or you got to kind of dig in to see what they are, you have a place and you have a purpose in the kingdom of God. But we just have to be willing to let Jesus transform them. You have to be willing to let Jesus take what's already in there and say, but let me show you how I can make this better for something that is eternal. So if you're in this room today and you find yourself a teacher, you know, there's a lot of teachers we have here. Teach for the glory of God. If you're in this room and you work in the medical field, because we have a lot of people who do that, you have a heart for, for caring, compassion for people. Care better than anyone else. If you have the ability to, to manage money and finances, that God's gifted you with that brain, because I know for a fact he has not gifted me with that brain, ask my wife. Help other people understand how to steward their resources, to maybe get themselves out of a pit or a hole so that they can not only honor God, but bless their family. If you have the ability to work with your hands, and you still have them because you haven't chopped any of them off yet with a tool, Use them to bless your neighbors, your coworkers, or that single mom, or the people in which the storm has hit. AK, let me put it this way. Don't just shop from the window of the kingdom of God. Invest in it. 
And God has given you immense things in order to invest in the kingdom of God. Look at how Paul's speech ends, picking back up in verse 15. This is Ananias again talking to him. He says, so you will be his witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your murder, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Again, God has gifted something in you. And in order to be a strong disciple, in order to be a faithful disciple, we have to realize that not everyone is going to like us. Not everyone is going to agree with the way in which we do things. Not everyone is going to believe in you. Not everyone is going to comfort you. But God's promise is true. Go, for I will make you strong. Go, for I will be your power. Go, for I have given you this purpose. The thesis of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It was our first memory verse for this, this whole entire series. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power because the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not about living a Christian life and, and sprinkling some Christian dust on top. It's not about having the Christian life and here's my Sunday or here's my life and I'm going to put, make Jesus my little sprinkles. It was, it was a, a complete change of course for Paul, a change of direction. It was a change of everything. And here's the point I want to make with that is this, is that we are called to be co-ministers in the kingdom, not just cohabitants. In the kingdom of God, we are all called to be co-ministers, not just cohabitants. I think some of us believe that the point in being a Christian is to live this life and sprinkle a little Jesus on top. I'm going to go through my life. I'm going to claim to be a Christian, slap a bumper sticker on the back and call it good. I'm going to go through my life. I'm going to claim to be a Christian, but I'm just going to make sure when I drink coffee at work, it's got a Bible verse on it. That's my Christian duty there. I believe Jesus said to all of us, I've given you my power, I've given you my spirit, I've given you my purpose, what are you going to do with it? You know, recently I got an email from AARP, dead serious. Clearly they don't know me super well. And uh, with it, it was also an ad for a retirement community. Somebody's sending me a message, somebody's probably playing a joke on me, I don't know. And, and, and the ad was like these pictures of this retirement community and the, some guys were playing golf and some people were playing checkers and, and, and they were sitting uh, around a fire laughing, telling jokes and this one guy on a wheelchair bombing down a hill. I was like, that wasn't a real one. That would have been sick though. I'd be like, I want to go there. But it just had this tagline and the tagline just read, the life you've always dreamed of. And I thought to myself, is this the goal? Is this really the goal that majority of us are chasing after? 
to at one point get to a, to a spot where we just play checkers all day. Where we sit next to a warm fire and sip some hot chocolate or whatever it is you put in there. Is that really the life we've always dreamed of? Because for me, and if you're not even a Christian, I bet you can agree with this. That's not the life you've dreamed of. The life I dream of is, 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 is a life of purpose. A life of, of meaning. A life of substance. A life of something beyond. Just try not to die too young so you can reap some of the benefits of your 401k down the road. The life that I dream of, and hopefully you dream of too, is a life that has purpose attached to it. I think so many of us get content just to drift through life, to sit back and to observe, to consume and to never contribute, to live life and think, maybe I'll try to do a little bit better here, I'll try to do a little bit better there, but just to let everyone and everyone else, well, they're the real ones who got the gift, uh, they could just do all the work, I'll just kind of go through the motions. I'm good with Jesus, so I'll just sit back and watch. It's not the life and the purpose that Jesus has for you. It's not the life and purpose that I want. And my response to that is, if you only knew if you only knew what you might be missing out on. Let me, let me give you a story because I think sometimes what happens here is we hear about these lives of having meaning and purpose following Jesus and we think of like Mother Teresa, right? So let me give you a story of a, of a close friend of mine. I'm gonna call him Pete because I didn't ask him if I could. His name's not Peter. I'm not showing it to Pete, okay? So... But let me tell you about Pete. So Pete, Pete uh, used to attend this church. He, he, he moved uh, away um, uh, a few years ago. And I got to know, I've known Pete for, for even uh, prior to, to coming on staff here. And uh, great guy. But by all pretense and purposes, Pete would be that guy where his life is too checkered to be used by God. Lots of alcohol, a little bit of drugs, and definitely some women sprinkled in their type of life. And at one point, he, he tried to get things back on track. And then he, you know, he, he got married, so on and so forth, the whole, the whole nine yards. And then there was some infidelity issue there, both sides, okay? But, 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 but the world's definition, Pete doesn't deserve to be a Christian. By the world's definitions, Pete doesn't deserve to be used by God. And Pete has an encounter with Jesus here at this church. And his heart and his life is transformed. And so then as I begin to meet with Pete over the course of a handful of years, our conversation turned from how's work, how's life, to one simple question. We would meet almost every other lunch and we would ask each other this one simple question. If, so if you're looking for a question to ask your family, a spouse, someone that you're trying to run the race of, just ask this simple question. You ready for it? What's Jesus teaching you lately? And I would ask Pete that question and it evolved from, you know, I should probably go to church more often to I should probably serve. And then it became these convictions by the Holy Spirit that he began to live out. Convictions like this, instead of serving once a month, I'm gonna reorient my schedule so I can serve twice a month. Pete was someone who, who, who gave very generously. He tithed on his income. And I remember one lunch in particular, I asked him the question, Pete, what's Jesus teaching you? And he said, you know, Eric, uh, this is gonna sound weird, but I, but I think God wants me to eat canned tuna and frozen vegetables for two months. 
and give all of my leftover grocery money to the church. And I said, man, trust me, that ain't in the Bible. And he said, yeah, but I want to push myself to trust God more. Pete made the decision that instead of going on three or four vacations a year, he would alternate that every other vacation was a mission trip. Then instead of going to Florida, then on a cruise, then to Alaska on a cruise, then a Norwegian cruise, and then a Disney cruise, he'd go on a trip to Florida, and the next trip he would schedule a mission trip. And Pete was really good with his hands. He could build stuff, so he'd go to Mexico. He'd go to Nicaragua, he'd go to Costa Rica, and he'd help build houses and do things for people in need. And the thing is, you'll never hear about who Pete actually is. No one's going to write a book about his life. No one's going to say, man, if you really want to see a superstar, you got to look at this guy Pete over here. But the thing is, he didn't want to just drift through life anymore. He wanted to drive to that purpose. And that purpose was to be obedient and faithful to what God had gifted him with. And so what about you? Would you say you are chasing down your purpose or just drifting? I think drifting just happens. We don't even try to drift. We don't seek out to drift. We just find ourselves drifting. We get in the car, we put in drive, and then all of a sudden we're going, but we get distracted by so many things. Sometimes they're good things. We're distracted by the family over here and the kids want to watch Bluey over and over and over again and, and stuff. So, oh, come on, show me my Lord. We get distracted as we're driving. Oh, look at that house. It'd be nice to upgrade someday. Look at that car. Is that Paul Walker over there? Man, that thing's sick. We get distracted. Oh, there's a billboard promising a, a higher paying job. Man, that's the dream. If I only get there. And we find ourselves drifting. We Sometimes we hit those rumble strips. And you get back on track. But sometimes we drift and we miss the drone and we just find ourselves off the cliff. And how did I get here? How did I find myself? Because I did not set off to get off the cliff. I did not set off to get off course. I set off with a destination and a plan and a purpose and a power. And yet here I find myself. It's because you drifted. You see, when you drive, when you chase down your purpose, there is a plan. When you drive and chase down your purpose, you prepare. When you drive and chase down your purpose, you push the limits. When you drive and chase down your, you obey the laws, you obey the rules to keep yourself. But ultimately, when you drive and chase down your purpose, you focus on nothing except for your destination. So do you find yourself driving or drifting? No one is too broken to be redeemed. And no one is too stagnant to not get going for the purpose that Jesus has in their life. Are you driving or are you drifting into God's purpose for you today? Would you pray with me as we continue to worship Lord Jesus this morning? Lord, we pause and we offer up our praise to you because you alone are good. You alone are worthy. It feels weird, God, to sometimes preach a message like this because I know for me, the amount of times I've wrestled with you, the grace that you've shown to me because I find myself drifting. And so for any of those this morning who are feeling perhaps convicted by just that question, 
give them your love, give them your grace, give them a sense of your spirit. But don't let us be content there. Don't let us be content to drift. Don't let us be content to sit on the bench, if you will. May we see the purpose and the meaning that whatever it is that we do, wherever it is that we follow, whatever it is, Lord, that you want to use us for, may we be open-handed and obedient because we believe chasing after the destination you've given to us as individual disciples and as a community of faith. It is worth everything to reach that point. Do a work in us, Lord. If we need to confess, may we confess. May we be open to conviction and change our hearts. If we need to praise you for your goodness, may we praise you for your goodness. We worship you and may our worship not just be something we go through the motions, but may we take communion, may we sing these songs, may we do everything that we do the rest of today and the service and this week be an example, Father. We believe your way, your purpose is greatest for this life. It's the name that we pray.